0: Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series called The Heart of Worship. We've been talking about worship for a few weeks, and uh, there's no, uh, I'm just kind of taking this week to week, just addressing some various aspects uh, that, uh, you know, that I think are important as we talk about worship. Worship uh, is uh, central to the life of the believer, central to our Church, any uh, God-honoring, Jesus-preaching church, uh, we believe that worship is central. Uh, You know, we have uh, on our sign, you know, worship Sunday, 10 a.m., and we equate worship as just something we do in this hour and uh, hour and a half, sometimes a little longer. But anyway, uh, you know, then when we're done, we're done with worship, that we've done, you know, we've done this event uh, but uh, but the Bible has a lot to say about what worship is and what it's not. But this morning, the title of today's message in this series is Pursuing the Presence of God in Worship. We're going to talk about the presence of God, and it was appropriate we sang about God's presence, the presence of God, pursuing the presence of God in worship. I want to read you just a few things uh, that uh, just kind of by way of introduction uh, to address as a church what it means to pursue the presence of God. So George Barna, who does a lot of surveys uh, and uh, statistics in the uh, church and Christian world, surveyed thousands of church going Christians. And the question was asked Have you ever experienced? God in a worship service, and only one-third said that they regularly experience God in church. Uh, William Hendricks has a book called Exit Interviews in which he surveys people who have left the church, and he writes about why today's generation is leaving the church, and he summarizes the views of many worship dropouts uh, by this statement. He writes, perhaps the most common complaint was that worship services were boring. It was not just that these gatherings were not interesting, they just weren't worshipful. They did little to help people meet God. They did little to help people meet God. When we gather together, we are gathering together to celebrate Christ. We're gathering together to to, if you will, and we'll talk about this, to meet God in worship. And we'll talk about what that means and what that doesn't mean. One other writer, one last uh, quote that I thought, again, was was helpful is from a woman by the name of Sally Morgenthaler, and she writes in uh, an article in Worship Evangelism, and she made this statement. I thought this was interesting. I might not have agreed with it a few years back, but but I'll uh, read it nevertheless, and I think she does hit up on something that is important for us to pay attention to. She said, When worship services are not not worshipful, people not meeting God, people not being allowed to participate in a worship relationship with God, it is as if the very essence of worship has been quietly removed. The most significant benefit of a worship service is connecting with God. It does not matter how chatty and interesting the celebrity interviews are, how captivating the drama, how stunning the soul of us, or even how relevant the message. When personal interaction with God is absent, church loses much of its appeal. And I think that's true. I think she hit on something that when the corporate body of Christ gathers together in worship, there should be an aspect in which when you and I come in together, that in this time, and I recognize that, and I'm going to limit this in talking about worship within the context of a Sunday morning uh, when we gather, but I recognize that that's not the totality of worship, but that when we gather together, there should be a sense that I, I have, if I could say it this way, that I've, I've encountered the presence of God this morning that I've touched God this morning in some experiential way. Now, you know, some folks get all upset when you talk about experience, but listen, if you are born again, child of God believer, you've had an experience. If you haven't had an experience, then something's wrong here. So there's nothing wrong with experience because our encounter with God is not just an intellectual knowledge of facts checking off what we believe about God that if that belief does not transform the heart and the life, that changes the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we uh, act, even the way that we respond to God. It's more than, again, just intellectual, theological prep- propositions uh, that we, that we uh, believe in. We actually believe that Jesus Christ has changed my life, has come into my life, has made me a new creation. And so, when was the last time, you don't have to answer this out loud, this is just to yourself, but when was the last time that you honestly experienced the presence of God in a worship service? And the question is, why? Why is that the case? Why is that not happening? You know, I believe that the greatest needs of the church is not new programs and new this, that, and the other, to come up with different ways to grow and reach our community. All those things have their place. But I believe that what we need today is, and in every church that proclaims the gospel, we need to make sure that God's flock are encountering God, that the worship is vital, is meaningful, and it's not just, again, running through the motions. As Teresa said, it's not just singing lyrics on a screen, but it's actually encountering Christ in our worship, and that's only made possible because of the gospel, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it's possible because he's given us his Holy Spirit, that we're not just, again, we're not just like those Old Testament saints who are worshiping God in the sense from uh, you know, as an, object, as an objective reality from afar, the difference between us and our Old Testament saint brothers and sisters is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us now. He's not just around us, but He's in us. He dwells in us. The very Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And so if he, He's dwelling in us individually, then when we gather corporately, I believe that that should be uh, some tangible effect when God's people gather together to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So this morning we're continuing to talk about the heart of worship. We're not talking about techniques and styles and, and various ways that of musical taste. Because, let's be honest, those things vary from person to person. If we took a poll in this church today about your music preferences, they'd all be different. It'd all be different of what should or what we should bring or what we should do, oftentimes that's determined by our background, our ethnicity, um, our experience, our individual tastes, all those things. And any time a church gets into determining that one particular style of worship or one particular thing is biblical, you always kind of run the risk of, of, of saying, okay, well, how is that biblical? How is that? Where do you find that in the scripture? Or is that just something that has been defined by our culture? Has that just been defined by my particular taste or whatever? So again, every church, it's okay. I have no problem with every church having a different style of worship. That's okay. Aren't you glad God didn't make us all little carbon copies of the same? Aren't you glad there's a variety? I think in heaven there's going to be a massive variety. If the Bible says in the New Jerusalem that there's going to be worshipers from every tribe, tongue, nation... Listen, there's going to be a variety of expressions to God, but one thing that we do make sure that we have is that all those expressions glorify Jesus, right? It isn't just the expression, and I admit, I'm not sure how the fog machine fits into that, but I'll leave that for somebody else. We, we don't do fog machines here. But uh, if you see fog, it's probably smoke, and there's something on fire, and it may not be the Holy Spirit. But you know, so go for the doors. And but uh, nevertheless, we want we want this morning in pursuing the presence of God in worship. uh, We want to uh, uh, just kind of keep digging around about what it means to for God's people to worship God by knowing God. We worship God. And so this morning, number one, and I'm kind of have done this a little bit each week uh, a little differently, but I always start off number one defining the defining of worship. What does worship mean? And uh, a lot of things I'll say here, uh, there won't be scriptures on the screen for this point. But what does worship mean when you when you think about worship? What comes to your mind? Is it just the time on a Sunday morning? It's what you know what certain people do. Uh, worship. One statement. and These just a few statements to uh, just quickly kind of review and surmise what we've said in the past. Uh, worship, simply stated, worship is declaring the worth of God. That is really what uh, the word uh, from the English, the old English word. Worship means is worth ship. We're declaring to God his worth. Worship is not a uh, weekly pep talk uh, to the rally of the troops. Uh, it's not a motivational time. No, we are here to ascribe to God the greatness of his worth. So, worship is uh, declaring the worth of God. Also, worship, talking about defining worship, worship occurs when people encounter God who loves them and desires a relationship with them. See, again, it's not just singing about God, it's singing unto the Lord, it's singing with the Lord, it's singing in a very personal, uh, you know, men may not like the word intimate, so I'll just say close, you know, it may make them nervous talking about intimate with Jesus, but we'll just say closeness, all right? Women don't have a problem with that, but men, you know, it doesn't sound very manly, you know? But nevertheless, you get the idea. We want to be close to God. We want to be intimate with the Lord. We want to be personal. Instead of God just being out there, God is real, and I'm encountering him. And also, worship, worship, true worship, does not lead. It isn't the preliminaries. Worship does not lead to an encounter with God. It is or should be an encounter with God. Worship is about experiencing God personally. And so every Christian should have this mindset that worship in its very basic form is declaring God his tremendous and great worth. But there's a second aspect in just this looking at uh, the presence of God, secondly, I want us to consider the dimensions of God's presence. Now, again, this is more of a topical message. You know, normally I like to go through books of the Bible, but this morning it's to be a little more topical, and there's just different aspects and we're talking about pursuing the presence of God. But there's, uh, in uh, Jack Hayford, some of you know who Jack Hayford is, and uh, in one of his books, I thought this was was helpful, he gave... um, Three different aspects that are in, in Scripture, not exhaustive, but just three helpful categories in talking about the presence of God. Uh, and he writes this. This is on the screen. The Bible reveals at least three different dimensions, if you will, by which God makes His presence known. Indeed, God is everywhere, but, he, but the ways that He chooses to manifest Himself, to reveal Himself, uh, have various distinctions or in different ways. And so in order, in order to understand, when we talk about the presence of God, this is helpful to break down the different ways that the Bible speaks about the presence of God. Now, some of you remember, if you've ever read the uh, book by Henry Blackaby uh, called Experiencing God, I love the very basic, ground-level, fundamental principle that guides the entire book is is in experiencing God in our lives is to understand first and foremost is that God is at work around us all the time. Okay, so we do, the presence of God is not something weird or odd. We don't believe that God is just way out there in the massive uh, universes and he just way and we're just kind of down here making the best of it. No, God invaded our space in Jesus Christ. He came and brought himself into real time, into real history. Isn't that what John 1 says? The word came, and it says that it came and dwelt among us, literally pitched his tent, the Greek says. (coughs) So notice with me one of these dimensions that uh, Hayford writes about that I found helpful as we unpack it. The third one will be the one we spend the most time with. Number one is he calls it God's awesome presence. This is what uh, we talk about the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence. We'll talk about the omniscience of God. Omnipresent, omni, means all presence. So that means God is everywhere at the same time. That's fundamental to God being God. Uh, You remember the psalm in Psalm 139. I'm just going to read it. Where shall I go from your spirit? That's rhetorical. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? The psalmist David says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. In other words, God is indeed everywhere. We call that God's awesome presence. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to his eyes of him to whom we must give account. So when we talk about the omnipresence of God, that isn't just a truth for Christians. That's true about everybody. God is everywhere, and God sees everything. There's nothing. R.C. Sproul likes to say, uh, he said, if there is a renegade molecule... Running through the universe that God is not in control of, then God is not God. All right? So we talk about the omnipresence of God. That implies, again, God's sovereignty and his power. But there's also a second aspect that Hayford mentions, and that's God's abiding presence. You remember scriptures like Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I am with you always. Uh, Talking about King David in that Psalm 139. He, he talks about God's abiding presence when he says, after he says, where shall I go from your spirit? He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall, what, lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The darkness is as light with you. God's abiding presence guides us and nurtures us. Jesus even, you remember this in John 15. Remember when Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Talk about uh, our abiding, the abiding presence of Christ. Neither can you, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. So we talk about the awesome presence of God, his omniscience. We talk about the abiding presence of God. He's, he's with us. But the third aspect is God's amazing presence presence And this gets a little closer to what we want to focus in on this morning here, God's amazing presence, the sometimes we might call that the manifest presence of God. This is God's response to His people, to His followers when we call to Him for intervention. that God's amazing presence, which of us have, have, among us today has never called God, I need your help. I need your intervention in this situation in my life. You remember early on in Acts that uh, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, there was certainly immediate persecution that took place uh, with the early church. And Peter and John were taken to jail. And the church gathered for prayer and sought what? God's intervention, God's amazing presence into that moment, that situation. They weren't denying his omnipresence. They knew God was aware of the situation. But what were they doing? They were praying for God to intervene, for God to to take action in this situation. When you pray for a friend who is sick, dying with cancer or or whatever the situation, you're not just saying, well, God, intellectually, I know theologically that you are always with me and always around me, and I thank you for that wonderful theological truth. That isn't going to comfort you, really. I mean, it might, ultimately. But what are you praying? You're saying, God, I need you to intervene. So I mentioned Acts, and it'll be on the screen After Peter and John, God miraculously released them out of jail. And remember they came back to where the believers were gathered. We pick it up in verse 24 of Acts 4. And when they heard it, that's the remaining disciples who uh, heard about uh, the release and how they they were released from prison. And when they heard it, The other disciples that are gathered, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And now, Lord, here's the, God, we need your intervention. Here's your, we need your amazing presence. They acknowledge God's omnipresence. God, you made the heaven, the earth, the sea, everything in them. Sovereign Lord. Okay, they acknowledge that, but they're doing something different. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants, that's us, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I always found it interesting. They weren't saying, God, deliver us out of the suffering. That's kind of what I would pray, right? What do they pray? God, give us more boldness. In spite of the persecution, give us more boldness to proclaim your name. Verse 30. What are they doing? They're praying for this amazing presence to intervene, for God's tangible, manifest presence. Verse 30. Verse 30 that we would speak your word with all boldness, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, look at this, the place in which they were gathered together, what happened? It was shaken. There was a, there was a tangible presence of God that came into their midst. And it says, and they were all filled With the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. I thought they were all filled back in Acts chapter 2. But if you understand the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's a continual, ongoing filling of the Spirit. And they were all filled with the Spirit, and they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. You see, in our corporate worship, to kind of narrow our sense down about this pursuing the presence of God... God wants us when we gather together and we come to worship corporately as a church, God wants to remove our our blindfolds, if you will, and give us a a, a, a sight, a vision, if you will. Maybe I'm not talking about literal, literally, it could be, but but he wants us to give us a sense, a glimpse. Of his divine presence, that he is not only with us, but he's with me. And that when I come together to worship him, I leave with a sense that I've encountered God in a, in a unique and special way in our worship. It's more than just a theology of God's presence. Remember what Jesus said in John 16:7? Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He's talking to his disciples about his upcoming crucifixion. And he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. He says, it's to your advantage. You could say it this way, up to this point, I've been with you, and around you, but it's going to be your advantage because when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come, and instead of just dwelling around you, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ, is going to dwell where? In you. So he says, that's better. That's better than me just being hanging with you. It's better because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to in you. Now keep that thought in mind when we read John 16. Go down a little bit. Cuz he says when the spirit of truth comes, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it. You could say make manifest to you the things that are to come. This the holy spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will make it, he will reveal it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you, will make it manifest to you. Do you see the work of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't just reminding you of propositional theological truth, but he's taking the truth of, the, of Christ and he's making it real into our life. He's declaring it to us, he's making it manifest into our life. And some of you know about God, but you, and you're saved, and you, you know you're saved, but you still struggle with just this knowing about God, and you've never entered into knowing God in a close, intimate, personal way, where he's just as real, getting gas at Wawa, as he, as he is here in church. There's a, there's a closeness there, because the Helper, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. And maybe this is kind of what Jesus was getting at back in John 4 when he said, you know, the Father, you know, we come in and we have an agenda of worship. But do you realize the Lord has an agenda of worship? Because he says in John 4, in that encounter with the woman at the well, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers... Now that tells me... If he says true worshipers, there could be what? False worshipers. But true worshipers. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father has an agenda. What is he doing? He's seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He's not talking about they must worship me with spirited enthusiasm. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What is the Holy Spirit's job? Is to guide us into truth. Worship Him in spirit. You see, again, it's not, just, it's not just ascending to propositional truths about God and saying, of course I'm a Christian. I believe all those fundamentals of the faith. But it's, but it's that faith that becomes entwined in my life, to where God is real. And how does he he manifest and make himself real but by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us? We worship him in spirit and in truth. So that means that if I'm going to be the true worshiper, I must be one who is connected and growing and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people get all nervous about uh, inviting the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. We're not inviting God. We know, again, that's why I made those distinctions about God's presence. We know God is everywhere. We know that. We're not saying that. We're not saying as though God isn't... It, no, God is present because He's God. We're talking about something completely different. We're we're this, this inviting... Let me just say it this way. The worship we're talking about simply makes us more aware... Of God's presence, do you desire to be more aware of God's presence in your life, or are you satisfied with just where you're at and what you know? The psalmist, several scriptures that speak about and encourage us, Psalm fifty, verse twenty-three: "The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me." To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Something about ordering my way rightly. God reveals himself, makes himself known. Psalm 144, verse 5. Bow your heavens, O, o Lord, and come down. There it is. That's a prayer of come down, Lord. Touch the mountains so that they are smoke. Lord, come down, Isaiah sixty-four, one. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, tear it open, and what is the prayer? Come down, that the mountains might quake at your what? Your presence, First Chronicles sixteen, eleven. Good verse. You ought to make note of that. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. We're not talking about pie in the sky. We're not talking about mysticism, something weird. We're talking about something very essential and basic that God made us originally with the capacity to know him in a close, personal way. When Adam was in the garden, the Bible says that the Lord walked with him in the cool of the day. There was an intimate, connective relationship. What <coughs> what, damaged, what destroyed that? Sin. Sin. What does Jesus come to take care of? Sin. Remember in the Gospels? I know Mark, I know it's in one of the Gospels that says that when Jesus was crucified, when he said, it is finished, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Speaking about that barrier that kept from the Holy of Holies, from that intimate, close presence of God, that what Jesus did Tore the curtain, broke the barrier, made a way that the writer of Hebrews could say that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. He's brought us, he's invited us, but he's not only invited us, but God is sovereign that he initiated us into this relationship. And God wants us to know that. You know, maybe Psalm 84 to read that last one. <clears throat> my soul longs, look at this passionate heart here, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, I know all of you have that sentiment early Sunday morning, you long for the, Now I'm kidding, we should, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God, this is Oh, this is one who has a desire because he's encountered the presence of God, and that when you get a taste of that, he wants more of that. Maybe 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 some here today are more like the church at Laodicea that is mentioned in Revelation three. Remember the church at Laodicea? The writer, this vision that John the Apostle had, seven churches of Revelation in chapter two and three. this one, the church at Laodicea, real. Physical location church, but the word of the Lord spoke into their spiritual condition through the apostle John and to the angel of the church at Laodicea. Write, he tells John, and he's writing to this local church people, people in Laodicea. This is what he tells them through, the, through John the words of the Amen. That's Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So this is coming from Jesus, guys. Verse 15, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and either hot nor cold, he said, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, you say, your diagnosis is what? I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Verse 18, I counsel you. To buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes. Laodicea was known for its medicinal production of a salve for eyes. And he says the real salve is the one I'll give you. Verse 19, those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Now look at verse 20. And maybe this is the challenge for some here today. It is for me. Behold, I stand at the door, Jesus says, and what? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I, my presence, will do what? Come into him, eat with him, and he with me. There will be relationship, fellowship. We're not talking about salvation, but we're talking about Jesus is knocking at the door. You see, the problem isn't God's inability to make himself fuller in our life. The problem often is, is that we hear the door knocking, but we're too busy to invite Jesus in to our life. This brings us to the third aspect this morning, and do we have a desire, is the desire to experience God in worship? Do we have a desire? Take your Bibles. We're actually going to read a portion of Scripture from Ezekiel. Not Ezekiel. Why did I say Ezekiel? Exodus. Exodus, start with an E. Turn your Bibles to Exodus. It'll be on the screen, but use it in your Bible. Read your Bible. Make your Bibles useful to you. Make it a tool for learning. This is Moses talking about a desire to experience God in worship. In Exodus chapter 33, I want us to just read down from verse 12 to verse 23 of Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you, do not, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, Moses says to the Lord, to Yahweh, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence, Moses said, if your presence, if your presence will not go with me, then don't bring us up from here. I don't want this to happen. If your presence is not going to go with me, just leave us here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people? from every other people on the face of the earth? Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said in verse 18, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness, the Lord says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. The Lord, which is You see it, it's all L O R D is capitalized. That's an English way of letting you know that the Hebrew name Yahweh is being used there. My name is Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know, we we might, if we had an opportunity to ask God anything, we probably would maybe have a lot of different things that we would ask. Moses had an opportunity to ask God two things. One, in verse 13, he said, teach me your ways. You know what that shows is that Moses had a hunger had a hunger for God. He says, "Teach me your ways. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways." Show me. I have a hunger, God, to know you. Do we have a hunger to know God? Moses wasn't just interested in God's ways because he desired information. He wanted to know God in how God operated, how God thought, what God's ways were. And the Bible speaks about Moses as a friend of God.
1: That he had a
0: hunger to know God in an intimate, personal way. Moses hungered. I wonder if we have anything close to that hunger. But he also had a second request in verse 18. is that Not only did he have a request... For a hunger for God, but he wanted an encounter with God. Verse eighteen said, "Show me your glory, show me your glory." The Hebrew, the word for glory is, uh, kabod, and that speaks of God's honor, His majesty. It speaks of the the weightiness of God, the glory of God, His splendor. His glory is often associated with seeing His uh, his, in his presence and face. Moses wanted to behold God face to face. You ever had be talking to somebody and, and they're not looking at you and their head is down or something, and you, you take them and you say, Look at, look, look at my face. W- what are you saying? I want you, in other words, I w- listen, we're not talking. There's something missing here. We need to talk face to face, personal. The Bible says that Moses wanted to know God in that kind of way. He wanted an encounter with God. He was not content with just business as usual. He wasn't just content with God's promises. He wanted God's presence. What did he say? God, if you don't go, then I'm not going. There's something about the presence of God that's important. And so when you and I come to church, do we come with a hunger? Do we come with a desire and say, God, I want to encounter with you in the gathering of your worshipers today. I want to encounter with you in, in the corporate worship. And again, I get that we should be encountering God. We should be having a fellowship with God and prayer and reading the word and those things that are going on day to day. But again, don't underestimate the importance of the gathered church that comes together to worship God. Do we have a desire to encounter God? You see, the key in pursuing the presence of God in worship always must be like Moses, that we are hungry and we have a desire to meet God today. Not just how long is it going to be run through the motions. I think that's why some of you, it's hard for you to come to church more than twice a month. Because it's just not something that is vital in your relationship with the Lord. That it could be some weakness that we're not doing to serve you or in some way. But I suspect that things that you take joy in, you don't have a hard time scheduling and making a priority. Have you found that the case? That's free. So the fourth and the last part, we're talking about pursuing the presence of God, is my decision to know God and to know God deeper in worship. Do I desire to know God in a deeper way? Let me give you four really, really practical, practical takeaways of maybe four things that may be helpful as as a start number one is it is the word admit admit that you're hungry you ever been around somebody you said are you hungry no 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 i'm I'm good oh come on you you haven't eaten i know oh no that's all right and you put some food before him and they just devour it
1: oh i haven't eaten
0: all day why didn't you say that you're hungry? Listen, guys, we got to admit. If, again, I realize this may not be of interest to some of you. But if you desire the presence of God, admit that you're hungry for God. Admit that you want more. Admit it. Now, again, the Bible says that every, we have been blessed in the heavenlies with everything, every blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. So if there's a sense of withholding, listen, it's not God. The Word of God says that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. So the problem goes back to that scripture in in Revelation 3.20. Are we going to open the door and invite Christ in regularly, anew? On Sunday mornings are we saying, Again, don't get mixed up. We're not talking about inviting the omnipresence of God. We're talking about saying, God, in our time here today, Lord, let us have a real close encounter with you in worship. And you know what? That's not the job of the folks up here. That's not their job. That's, and I'll talk about that in a minute. That's your heart saying that I've come in with a sense of Expectancy. Because I admit, this morning, I'm hungry for God. Secondly, it relates to this, and that's the word ask. Jesus said, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy may be full. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Ask. You're not asking God for something he doesn't want to give, no. God invites us to go deeper and to know Him more intimately. Ask. Third is the word prepare. In a good Baptist fashion, I tried to get them all A's, but it didn't work out that way. <clears throat> the psalmist says in Psalm 5:3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. So we admit our need. We're asking. So if I'm, and again, I'm I'm limiting my talk to Sunday morning worship in the gathering here, recognizing that it's bigger than that. But but listen, Sunday morning worship and what we receive out of it, you know, when that begins on Monday, because if you're coming in here. Just like maybe you've done at times past where your tank is on E and you're on fumes, but in God's mercy, somehow you rolled into the gas station. That happened to me one time. And my wife believes that I've been trying to recreate that miracle ever since. I mean, literally, it ran out and I coasted right up to the gas tank. And I thought, man, I'm good. No, I didn't say that. I was like, okay, I'm never doing that again. You come in on Sunday mornings, you're dry as a bone because you've had no encounter with God all all week. You spent no time in the Word. You spent no time in prayer. You spent no time in just your personal connecting with the Lord. And I get it. Those things happen. But if if that's a regular habit... And then you come in here, and you're saying, okay, worship team, do something. They can't. Now, it doesn't mean that your spirit and your heart will be lifted, you know, through the worship. So, uh, by all means, come, come. But I don't think that's what, how God prepares us or wants us to prepare, is that we are to give ourselves. You know, when the Old Testament Sabbath, and I recognize we're not under, we're not under the obligation of the law, But I think there's some principles that I think we could learn from. When they anticipated the Sabbath on the seventh day, they began to prepare on the fifth and sixth day. They began to prepare meals and and clothes and do those things. So when the seventh day, in which under the Old Testament law there was to be no work or labor, they prepared. Why? Because the Sabbath was the high point of the week that we have taken a day to give unto the Lord exclusively. We're not going to be distracted by all the stuff. That is so far removed from our concept of the Lord's Day. Listen, on your bulletin, some of you probably never noticed that. I always put on there, I don't put on there Sunday on the front. I put on there the Lord's Day. Because that was what the church called Sunday, the Lord's Day. We are so, well, we're not under law. I get that. But do you not think that if something like that was 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 principles that God desired a people that would set aside tithe if you will a day of the week how much more now that we have the fullness of the spirit under the new covenant do we want do we will it be anything less than that or more and fourth is participate come with an expectancy for god to make his presence real on the lord's day psalm 95:2. let us come into his presence with thanksgiving Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Let us come with a sense of thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. There's a sense that we participate. And again, we're not talking about some lift their hands, some clap. I'm not talking about that. Because you know what? You can do all those physical things and still have a heart far from God. I grew up in an environment like that in which it was very strong on the physical expressions but little emphasis upon the heart relationship. So again, that's not necessarily always the case that one equals the other. But I do believe in some basic sense that if you come into the corporate gathering of worship and you are bored and indifferent then again, maybe somehow we're failing. Maybe we're failing up here. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's because we don't understand that my preparation and my participation began Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that we come together. It's the coming together of people who've encountered and been engaging with the Lord during the week and we come together and there's a sense of overflow of people that, have, that are hungry and have been fed on God and, and there's a richness in the corporate gathering. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't quit gathering together. There's something, remember what the Bible says that when you gather together, bring a song, bring a hymn, bring a, a prophecy, a word. Why? For the edification of one another when we realize and begin to think that my participation in worship in the body of Christ, that I'm responsible for the person next to me, in front of me, they are depending on me to encounter and have a relationship and have an expectation of in the presence of God for them, because that's my responsibility as a member of the body. It isn't just these guys up here. Marty Nystrom is a uh, worship leader. Have you ever heard of Marty Nystrom? He's written a lot of, done a lot of worship music. And, but I like something I read that he said. <clears throat> Marty Nystrom says, I do a lot of traveling and witnessing on airplanes. He's a worship leader that travels, has a lot of great music. He said, I do a lot of traveling and witnessing on airplanes. And I've heard over and over again, this statement. Well, I've been to church before and yeah, it was good, but it's not really my thing. He says, well, they probably went to a dead church. And he said, and I've had people say, well, I've read the Bible and yeah, it's helpful. It's a good book, but I study the Quran, and I'm just, I look for wisdom everywhere. He said, I've heard it all. but This is what he says. He says, but I've never had anybody... Look me in the eye and say, You know, I've experienced the presence of God, and quite honestly, I don't want it. I've never heard anybody say that. No one has ever said that to me. Because people who experience the real presence of God are changed from the ordinary, they want more of Him. I want more of Him. Do you want more of Him? I want, listen, God's blessed us with great worship. And that can also be a danger too, because we get comfortable with what we do. Again, it might be interesting to, well, I'm going to go there, better not say that. No, it's not inspired, it's just me needing to wrap up. worship is not the preliminaries this whole gathering the word is the worship but that but that worship that when we move from just singing about god to where we begin to experience worship in a personal way there where we sense the very presence of god listen i believe this i believe god can do more in 5 minutes in a person encountering the presence of god than five hours of counseling or preaching or teaching. And I don't want to put one against the other because I think God uses all those things, right? But there's something about being in the presence of God and learning. Again, that's what, I guess that's what I'm saying is don't just leave that and think, well, that's for those real super spiritual people. No, God desires that for all His people.